This is John Quinn, and this is Law Disrupted. And today we have the privilege of speaking with a very well-known Chinese lawyer, Leslie Zong, who's known in the legal business in China, known for many, many things. He's the general counsel of a public energy company, which is listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. He's a well-known blogger, writer, uh, prolific contributor to social media and thinker. He's the founder of an online business school, the Leslie School of Law and Business, as I understand it. He's held many different positions in the legal profession. Uh, he's now with a public company. He's previously been with a state-owned energy company. And we're just really delighted to have a, an opportunity to speak with him. I mean, first, uh, Leslie, to get us started, tell us about the business that you are presently general counsel of, and in general, what your duties are. Uh, you know, I'm the uh, general counsel and uh, vice president of business development of United Energy Group. Uh, our company primary business is the, uh, in the upstream uh, oil and gas, and uh, we are one of the largest independent oil and gas company in the world. And uh, this company entered into oil and gas business by acquiring BP's Pakistan assets after the uh, Gulf, you know. Uh, Gulf of Mexico oil spill in uh, 2010 or 2011. And uh, after that, BP, BP started to divest its long core assets, you know, to meet its obligations uh, in uh, United States. So that's give us a very good opportunity to enter uh, into oil and gas business. And uh, so by invested invested more than Five billion U.S. dollars, and we successfully grow our business in Pakistan. And currently, we are one, we are the largest uh, foreign oil and gas company in Pakistan. And after that, uh, we took over a Middle East energy company called KEC Energy Group. Then we further, you know, grow our business, and we put our footprints in Iraq, Egypt, Yemen and uh, uh, Pakistan. So that's basically, you know, what we are doing. We are not, uh, you are not only doing the conventional oil and gas, oil and gas, gas business, but also we are looking for some, you know, new energy uh, opportunities. We have uh, some wind power in Pakistan. Also, we're actively looking for opportunity in Eastern Europe to try to do some solar, you know, wind power, or, or, or hydrogen uh, be, uh, 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 opportunity there. Amazing. I mean, you're obviously just listening to the different countries in which your your company does business. I mean, you're obviously a, a, an international lawyer that really has exposure to many different jurisdictions. And I know you've held a number of previous jobs in different energy companies uh, prior to your present position. Could you just, just for the audience, give us a rundown of what your previous experience has been? Yeah, you know, when I graduated with, uh, from a uh, university, I joined uh, the, uh, one of the largest state-owned enterprise, uh, CMPC. And uh, I, I was there as an uh, in-house counsel to help the company to expand its overseas business. And after single say, you know, I spent... Uh, you know, some time CITSA, also one of the largest uh, Chinese SOEs. And uh, after 
clinic. I joined the single OSA, China National, uh, 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 you know, offshore oil corporation. And uh, also, you know, to assist that company to expand its uh, overseas uh, business. And I have been with single OSA for 11 years. And um, assisted that company to complete almost, uh, I think, 40 billion uh, US, USD transactions. Then after that, I joined United Energy Group. Right. So you can say, you know, I previously I have been with the state-owned enterprise, and then I joined the uh, privately owned enterprise. Heck, what what's the difference in your mind? How is it different being a in-house counsel at a state-owned enterprise versus a private enterprise like the position you presently hold? Actually, you know, I don't see too much difference, but you know, the operating mechanism of the SOE and the you know, private uh, company in China are quite uh, different. Because, you know, in SOE, you need to go through a lot of procedures when you make a business decision. But, you know, in a private-owned uh, company, and uh, the management structure is quite lean, and the board and the senior mar management team can make business decision in a very quick way. I think that's primarily the difference between the, uh, the two kind of uh, corporations. The decision-making in private companies is, is swifter, faster? Yes, and more efficient. And also the private company, when they make business decision, they don't usually you know, consider the so-called strategic reason. You know, they only focus on the return of their investment. So the ROI, is the, their first priority when they make a business decision. But you know, when they are uh, SOEs, when they make business decision, they take into consideration a lot of factors. Like, you know, whether the business decision has some strategic reasons. For example, uh, years ago, when I was with one of the uh, SOEs, they made a decision to go into uh, Brunei, you know, because, you know, Brunei, they, they uh, previously, Brunei's oil and gas business was controlled by, I think, Shell or BP, by, by, by you know, the oil majors. The joint venture established uh, uh, between the uh, oil majors and the, you know, government. Uh, and uh, the Brunei uh, government, they established their own you know, a state-owned oil and gas company. So they are ready to open more acreage to, you know, foreign investors. So the SOEs I was with make a strategic decision. Right. We needed to enter into Brunei. So, you know, they don't uh, usually consider the return of the investment, but, uh, you know, they, they, they based on the their business decision to enter into Brunei uh, because of the strategic reason. Right. I mean, you deal with law firms from all over the world, and I'm sure I mean, there is a, a component of learning culture, business culture, uh, understanding clients' expectations, which is different in different countries. And I'm sure you've seen Western law firms in dealing with Chinese clients be insensitive or make mistakes, not, you know, probably mostly out of ignorance. 
Uh, they just don't understand the Chinese client's expectations. What advice would you have for Western lawyers who want to do business with Chinese companies? What things should they be particularly sensitive to? And what type of expectations do you think that Chinese clients might have that are a little bit different than Western clients? Yeah, uh, look, John, I think previously the older generation, I mean, you know, my, you know, the older generation, my previous generation, I think they have more, you know, more, more Chinese characters of doing business, you know, with the foreigners, you know, when they're working with the external uh, uh, international law firms, they tend to think from, uh, you know, Chinese way. But my generation, I think, you know, we are more international. We can understand the way how the international law firm works. So I like to say, you know, Currently, we are very good at working with the international law firms, but uh, but I can offer some advices, you know, to the international law firms. Please, it would be great. Yeah, because you know, in, in China, the uh, you know Chinese culture, they tend to be more flexible. You know, they they you know when Chinese business when Chinese businessman they make decisions. They always think, you know, whether we can find a way to circumvent the laws, the regulations, or whether should we can do something, you know, can break through the limitation of the law or regulation or the contract. They, you know, they, I think they request more from the extra lawyers. They are not, not only asking the law firm or the lawyers, or the you know team, just to provide their some you know legal advice. I think they care more about the commercial workable legal advice. Right. So not jump. So just in other words, don't just tell me what the law is and what I have to do. Give me some options, some creative ways to work around yes. uh, that might be compliant, which you know aren't necessarily. Uh, what is expected under the black letter law, something like that? Yeah, yes. You know, I, I can give you an example. Uh, you know, recently we understand, you know, because the Sino-US relationship uh, makes, you know, Chinese investment in the United States, especially in, you know, some sensitive industry, quite difficult. You know, we, we, we have the safest problem. We have the, you know, the, the, the so-called United States you know, national security issues when Chinese, uh, you know, company want make investment in some uh, industry like, you know, AI, technology, infrastructure, data. So that makes, you know, Chinese investment in those uh, industry extremely difficult. But, you know, still some Chinese clients, they want to make investment in United States. So when they talk to with the uh, U.S. law firms, they, are, they, they, they always ask the question, how can I circumvent, you know, the laws and the regulations requirement in United States and I can make the investment, you know, smoothly and without any difficult, without any difficulties. So I think that's, 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 that's Chinese, you know, companies are asking for uh, from the uh, uh, international law firms. Right. I mean, you've worked with law firms from all over the world. 
I mean, obviously, you know, the Chinese legal market, I'm sure you know, most of the major Chinese law firms, you've worked with major Western law firms. Uh, what, what do you look for when you're choosing a law firm? And do sometimes you team up a Chinese firm with a Western firm to deal with a problem when it's sort of cross-border? What, what, what are the key factors for you in deciding what law firm to work with? I think the first one is the experience. You know, when we uh, make a decision to choose a law firm, the experience, uh, what has the uh, team done before is always, you know, one of the most important factor uh, for, you know, chance plant to make a decision. And the second is that I think the pricing. You know, chance plant is, uh, I think it's a bit of sensitive of the rate, of the pricing of the law firm. Um, you know, I think compared with United States, United States market, you know, I think you, uh, you know, I, 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 I have a lot of relationship with, you know, United, uh, 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 US companies. I think, you know, US companies are more, you know, agreeable to the prevailing rates, uh, asked, uh, requested by the law firm. But, you know, Chinese companies, Chinese clients are more sensitive of the price. Right. Uh, so, so that's the second factor. Yeah. And the third is that I think they are uh, expertise and the responsibilities. Mm. Because, you know, I think Chinese clients are quite demanding in terms of responsibilities. When they give you a question, they want to get the answer ASAP. They cannot, you know, wait till if the ex counsel replied, we need one day or two days to, to, you know, to report back to you. Usually, you know, they will, you know, push the, uh, you know, law firm very hard and try to get the answer ASAP. Right. I mean, I, the Chinese, you know, these generalities are unfair, but you sometimes hear it said that, you know, Chinese clients, you know, it's difficult to get paid. You can do the work, uh, but then it's gonna, it's a struggle to get paid. I mean, do you, do you think that's a, a fair or an unfair uh, observation? And to the extent you think there's any accuracy to it, what advice would you have for Western law firms to make sure that they will actually get paid for their work? What, what are the best practices? <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I, John, I think you made a very good point here. And uh, I did talk to a lot of, you know, law firm partners, you know, uh, Western ones, and uh, some of them complained, you know, there are, I think, for any partners who want to get the work from a chance plan, there are two obstacles they need to overcome. The first is, is you know, to get the job, get the assignment from the chance plan. Because, you know, in, in China, you know, especially for SOEs, every project, every legal assignment, they need to have this so-called your procurement process. So they need to go through the procurement process and usually the SOEs, they only pick up the law firm, which gives them the lowest quotation, the lowest price. Because, you know, they have some Regulatory body to look up to you know look 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 to look look after this 
if they don't choose the you know lowest bidding price, they may have problem with the with their internal you know procedures. There are some Western, for, obviously, clients who are like that too. Yes, and and in litigation, I always say when the conversation is only about the rates, I always think, wait, you can lose for nothing. Why, you know, <laughs> if that's all you care about, you can just yes. lose, you know, and yes. deal with the liability. <laughs> yes, and the second one, second obstacle you need to overcome is that the pricing, uh, because I think Chinese clients are more outcome oriented. You know, if say if you know in IPO, if you have a successful IPO, you can you, you can always say you know the Chinese client is okay with you know paying the fees. If it's a litigation arbitration, if you, you get very good outcome for your client, the client is okay you know with paying the money. Also, if it's an M and A deal, if the deal you know come to the completion stage, the client is okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know if they Transaction or litigation or your IPO doesn't, you know, come through. Doesn't get very good result, you know, properly forced through in the process. So the Chinese client always ask for reduction of the payment, or in some cases they even refuse to make the payment. I think that happens quite a lot in China, but, uh, you know, I have some uh, suggestions. Yes. Uh, The first is that make sure you pick up your client carefully. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You need, you know, to work with, uh, you know, a client with credit, with credit worth. Yes. That's the first. The second, I think, you know, when Chinese clients make a decision, they always talk to, you know, some law firms to make a decision. But I think it's it, it, for law firms, it applies vice versa. When the client have a due diligence of the law firm, you should have a reverse due diligence of the client. Yes. You know, it's, it's you know, history, it's experience, and, you know, what kind of conversation you are going to have with your client. Like, you know, when I make a decision, I talk to law firms, so I think, you know, when the law firms, they talk to a guy like me, you know, they should feel comfortable <laughs> when they have business with us. Right. So, you know, talk to the guys and feel their working style. This, that, that's, that, that, that's, that, that's the first, right. first thing. The second, I think you need to provide a, a reasonable, your pricing structure to a Chinese client. Right. Like, you know, for example, if you provide an M&A, you know, your service to your chess client. So try to make different scenarios. Like, you know, in in the due diligence phase, how much money you are going to charge. Mm-hmm. But if the deal fell through, it didn't come to the second stage. Probably you needed to give some disc- reasonable discount to your chess client. Mm-hmm. And always third is always, you know, be reasonable or be careful when you you know, provide legal services to a chess client. You need to have a budget control in your mind. Mm-hmm. And if you think, you know, the legal expenses well beyond the budget, the budget you quoted to your client, you need to have confirmation or prior, you know, approval from your client, your Chinese client. 
Otherwise, you know, it will be get very difficult to get paid mm-hmm. in the end. Well, that's really good advice. What, what, in, in your experience, uh, what are the differences between working with Chinese law firms and Western law firms as a client? How do you find them different? I think, you know, for, Ch- uh, for Chinese law firms, I, I, you know, I have to say most of the Chinese law firms, they don't have, you know, such a long history like, you know, United States law firms or, you know, UK law firms. We have the white shoes law firm. We have the, you know, so-called magical, you know, circle. Those law firms, they have the history of even, you know, more than 100 years. But, you know, in Chinese law firm, we are probably, you know, the, the, the longest history in New China, the history, you know, the longest one, law firm, they may only have, you know, 40 years history. So compared to international firm, I think, you know, there are some difference, differences. The mm-hmm. first thing is that I think they, how to say, you know, how, can, how should I, you know, phrase that? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably uh, is the professional, professionalism. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you look at uh, international firm, if you look at their, you know, uh, for example, international law firm, they have better, you know, uh, model content. They have better knowledge base, and they even provide better, you know, training to their associate or interns. But you know, chess law firm, other than those, you know, very good established law firms, you know, most of, you know, a lot of chess law firms. They are lack of that, mm. you know, a very ro- robust, you know, knowledge, uh, you know, base building, uh, the know how, and also the trading system. I think you know, uh, international firms are far better uh, than Chinese law firms. And the second is that you know, they are expertise. We are, we we can say you know in international firm. A lot of team, they only devoted themselves to a very specific, you know, field or specific industry. But you know, in Ch- like Chinese law firm, one team they can do a lot of things. They do you know, they do transactions, they do IPOs, they do litigation, you know, they <laughs> do financing. Mm-hmm. But you know, we 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 don't see this in international law firm. Right. They you know, usually international law firm. A team, they very they are very dedicated to a specific, uh, you know, a field. Are you seeing more lawyers at Chinese law firms who have experience working at international firms, and they've uh, working abroad at international firms, and they've come back to China and brought that experience to Chinese firms? Are, do you see many of those? Yes. Yeah. 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 John, I think you know you are very good uh, your observer of those trends. Uh, currently, we can see a lot of you know Chinese lawyers who they gain experience in international law firms, and they they join the domestic law firms, Chinese domestic law firms later, and they bring in the experience with uh, international law firms, and they also bring in the uh, expertise, the knowledge uh, from international law firms. So we, we we can say you know the top Chinese law firms 
they began to build in their expertise. They also established their, you know, knowledge base, their know-how, and, uh, you know, also, you know, they provide very good uh, uh, training program to their interns and associates. So we can say they uh, continue to learn from uh, the, uh, their international peers. And what has been the impact of the international firms that have offices in China on the legal market in China? As I think you know, our firm has offices in uh, Shanghai and Beijing and Hong Kong, for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we're relative newcomers. I mean, I don't know how many years we had our first office in Shanghai. I want to say somebody's going to, I'm going to make it this wildly wrong, but I think it was about six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we opened our office, there were other international firms that had been in China for many, many years. And now you have a lot of international firms have opened up offices in China, wanting to participate in the growth of the Chinese market and economy and see opportunities there. What impact have those international firms had on the practice of law in China and the business of law? Mm -hmm. I have, uh, you know, first of all, I have to congratulate, you know, Queen uh, Manu. I think you guys did a very good job in Chinese legal market, and you 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 found the right one. You know, you found you know Liu Xiao to join you guys, oh. and uh, you know that guy is fantastic. He's fantastic. And, Thank you. Know, you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, I think you know, uh, uh, you know, compared with other uh, foreign, uh, you know, law firms. Your law firm is very exceptional. You you guys are keep growing in China, but we, you know, I do say some of the international law firms they already withdrawn from Chinese legal market. You know, due to some reason, you know, they sign U.S. relationship. You know, uh, the competition from Chinese domestic, uh, you know, law firms. So I think you guys uh, have done a very good job. But, you know, speaking of the future of the international law firms in Chinese legal market, I like to say, you know, the first, you are gonna to have a lot of competition from Chinese domestic law firms. That comes from your two reasons. The first is that the Chinese government currently encourage the local law firms to provide Overseas legal services to Chinese clients. Right. So that's one very important policy from the you know Chinese CPC and the central government. The second is you know, you just mentioned it. there are some you know lawyers who previously practiced in international law firms. They join Chinese law firms, so that will bring the Chinese law firm they expertise, they lead to provide services to their Chinese clients. So I think, you know, that's the two uh, competition. Yes. You know, that's the, uh, you, I think, you know, that's the uh, factor you need to take into consideration. It'll become more, more and more competitive. Yes, yes, there are more competition. Mm -hmm. But uh, on the other side, I think, you know, for the for the, the so-called elite law firms or the you know, high-end legal services, legal services uh, you know, field. 
uh, international law firms like you know Kimenu, you still have you know advantage over you know other law firms because you know practically speaking, when I make a decision to engage a law firm, when I have you know when my company have an ICC or AOCIA arbitration overseas, I always choose the you know very good international law firms. Hmm. Like, you know, Magical Circle or YSU, you know, uh, farms or your equipment new. Uh, right. uh, two years ago, when I have an ICC arbitration uh, in Paris, we are the second respondent. The first res- respondent engaged equipment new and we engage Anna and Robbery to defend us. And we have a very good fight with, you know, uh, Yemen government. And in that arbitration, we prevail. We prevail. Yes. So I'm saying, you know, for the high-end litigation, arbitration, or other, you know, high-end services, I don't think the competition from the uh, Chinese local uh, law firms will impact the business of the international law firms, like criminal. I think looking into the future, that's probably going to change. Yes. As the uh, Chinese firms get more and more international experience. It's been many years, but I've I visited the uh, New York offices of uh, Kingwood Malsons and June Hay, mm-hmm. and uh, they also had offices in uh, Northern California. It's yes. been many years, but I did go to those offices and introduce mm-hmm. myself to the lawyers there. Yes. I assume that there are other Chinese major firms that have opened offices in the West. Do you hear anything? Do you have any sense about how those firms have done in their outreaches to open offices uh, internationally? Yes. You know, uh, last last month I was in Singapore and uh, I visited uh, Hong Kong's Singapore office. They opened a very big Singapore office there. And uh, also, you know, when I traveled to United States, I think uh, there uh, are several Chinese law firms the open branch office in uh, in United States. So I do see uh, Chinese uh, law firms, they are expanding overseas. Of course, you know, because I think that's one of the reasons that they one built one road initiatives. Mm-hmm. And so when the Chinese company, they you know, go abroad, so the Chinese law firms, they go along with their chess client. Yeah, they fo- follow the client, yeah. Yes, secondly, is also, you know, from the, the encourage, the, the encouragement from the government. Mm-hmm. Chinese government allow take the legal services as one of the most important, you know, developing industry for this country. Because, you know, the government realized not, not only we need to develop the, the so-called hard, hard energy, like, you know, AI technology, uh, you know, other, you know, advanced technology, but also the so-called soft, soft service, you know, like, you know, law balancing. So don't ignore that because, you know, with right. Chinese government support, I think a lot of Chinese law firms, more Chinese law firms will go abroad to open their branch offices because, you know, with the Chinese economy further growing, I think 
that will further support the opening up of the branch office overseas by Chinese law firms. Right. So that will, you know, give more competition to international law firms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think people sometimes forget the um, importance of the legal profession and the legal business and law as a uh, tool for uh, projecting economic and I would even say political power. I think there, there's an argument, you look at the UK and England, there's an argument to be made that the number one export of England today around the world is guess what? English law and English jurisdiction. Yes. So, you know, the government encourages the lawyers, you know, to study the common law. And also the government encourages the, you know, construction of international arbitration center. I think mm -hmm. the, the, the Chinese leaders, they are very smart. They are yeah. very, you know, intelligent. They are aware of, you know, law can be used mm -hmm. as a very effective tool to defend the interest of this country and the and the you know its companies. Right. You mentioned Singapore. I mean, we've uh, we've applied for a license and it's been provisionally granted to open an office in Singapore. We've seen the growing importance of Singapore. Yes. In part because of the growing importance of India. The uh, Indian businesses have long preferred Singapore as a venue for arbitration to resolve disputes. Mm -hmm. Also because of the proximity to Southeast Asia and those economies. But also, it's said, you hear it in the marketplace, mm -hmm. that Hong Kong, which for a long time has been viewed as a, a very independent and neutral forum for a resolution of uh, arbitral disputes, some people express the view that the growing uh, that there's a growing Chinese influence in Hong Kong, and that maybe uh, in some at least some people think that's undermined the confidence in Hong Kong as an independent forum for resolving disputes, and that Singapore has been a beneficiary of that. That maybe some business has gone. We still we have an office in Hong Kong. Let me be clear, and we're committed to our office in Hong Kong. But I just wondered yeah. if you have it. You, if you heard that, do you have any reaction to that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, you know, you always make a very good, you know, <laughs> observations. Uh, you know, years ago when when we negotiated the contract with our foreign counterparties, some of them were okay with accepting, uh, you know, Hong Kong ISA, you know, Hong Kong ISA as the, you know, dispute resolution. Arbitration Institute, Institute, but currently, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Frankly speaking, they prefer, of course, you know, their first priority is London, Paris, or even New York. You know, AAA. But you know, they are. I think currently they are okay with Singapore, Singapore International Arbitration, okay with them, mm -hmm. but last one. Mm -hmm. So we see the problem, mm -hmm. and uh, so in recent years, especially last years, when I negotiated with you know with our foreign uh, partners or parties, they are okay with Singapore. They think you know Singapore is more neutral than Hong Kong now. Mm -hmm. So I think you, Queen uh, made a very good decision you know mm -hmm. to open an office in Singapore. And because, you know, due to the tension of Sino-US 
And uh, also, you know, something happened in Hong Kong. A lot of, you know, foreigners or foreign companies, they have some negative, you know, thinking of Hong Kong. So some guys or some companies, they move their headquarters uh, to, uh, to Singapore. Even some Chinese companies, they, they move their, you know, headquarters to Hong Kong to make them look, look like more neutral to United States. Right. For example, you know, ByteDance, a Chinese, a Chinese based, you know, company, they have TikTok, uh, uh operated, uh, you know, internationally. And uh, so they put their data center in Singapore. And uh, also, you know, some Chinese company, they move their headquarters to Singapore, you know, uh, to make them look more neutral. So we see the business in Singapore is booming and uh, Hong Kong lose some you know, shares. I think it lose some shares to Singapore. Mm-hmm. I can offer an observation Please. by my traveling. You know, when I took on board of the uh, plane, usually, you know, the business class, you know, fly to Singapore are full. Uh-huh. You know, you, you, so, 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 so you can say, and also the price, uh, the hotel price, the hotel rates in Singapore, I think, are doubled than uh, before. Yeah. And the Singaporean government has done a really great job about promoting Singapore for years. They've been very effective at that. Yes. I mean, it used to be said, now, I'm not an international arbitration practitioner myself, but I, I used to hear international arbitration practitioners give advice that, you know, if you have an arbitration against a Chinese company, you're actually better off in Hong Kong than just about any place else. Because if you get an award against a Chinese company, uh, it, the, the Chinese government policy was that that award should be enforced. If you had to go to China to enforce your award, the Chinese government would behind enforcement of that ward because they wanted to support the uh, the view that arbitration in in our uh, in Hong Kong was effective, and that that would be a way of attracting you know promoting the economy and Hong Kong as a forum, and that that would be good for Hong Kong and good for China. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and and now people are wondering whether. You know, does the Chinese government, does it matter so much now that Hong Kong be seen as as neutral? Does it matter so much whether or not uh, people think that if you get an award in Hong Kong, you can get it enforced in China? Maybe there's been a change in policy. I mean, I don't want to get into con- something that's too controversial, <laughs> but these are the kinds of things I've heard. I just wonder if you have any reaction to that. I think that's why Angel... Uh, you know, to make Hong Kong more attractive <laughs> to foreign yeah. you know, companies. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, from my pers- perspective, I think that's a possibility. But, you know, even you look at the international arbitration enforcement procedure in mainland China, I think Chinese court, uh, I think the Chinese court, they adopted the approach. The, ger- the general rule is that they honor the international yeah. awards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there are very few cases that mm-hmm. Chinese court 
set aside mm -hmm. an international, you know, arbitration awards. Right. That you know to add some more Hong Kong flavor, you know, flavor. You know, to add more Hong Kong flavor to that, I think probably that will be better. But I don't think you know adding some Hong Kong, mm -hmm. you know, flavor will significant enhance the position mm -hmm. of the enforcement of the international arbitration award. That's my understanding. All right. Well, listen, you know, um, do you think, let me completely change subjects here, but from the standpoint, talking about geopolitical issues and from the standpoint of lawyers, uh, you know, and the brotherhood and sisterhood of lawyers, uh, do you think there's any hope, any uh, signs of hope uh, for improvement in relations between our countries? And do lawyers have a role to play, do you think, in promoting that? I think, you know, I think, you know, first, uh, if you look at the uh, statement of your uh, U.S. side, uh, the Biden administration or Trump or, the, or previous uh, Trump administration made it very clear, China and the United States are competition relationship. Not friends, mm -hmm. not friends, <laughs> you know, but competition. Yeah. But the comp comp competition relationship should be very carefully managed. Because, you know, both countries cannot afford the decap. Mm -hmm. The decap of the relationship, you know, will bring, I think, you know, dangers or catastrophe to, you know, both countries' people. I think that's the first. But second, I think, you know, although we have the competitive relationship, that doesn't mean we cannot cooperate in some areas. That doesn't mean, you know, the legal industry don't have any opportunities there. For example, you know, I will take your firm as an example. Because of the tension of China and the U.S. relationship, I think that make, you know, criminal news, Chinese business booming. Mm -hmm. There are more, you know, regulatory investigation conducted from U.S. side. There are law litigation, arbitration, international arbitration targeted at Chinese companies. So I think, you know, that gives us more opportunities. And also, you know, for others, for corporate, corporate, you know, are lawyers. Still, there are some data, you know, problems, compliance issues. So there are also very good opportunities for US, US law firms and they, you know, compromise side yeah. and they compromise. Friction is good for business. Yes. yes. Regulations, controls, restrictions, clients need advice. Yes. That's good for business. Yes. And also, you know, how, you know, from, uh, as a lawyer, how legal community, you know, can do something to, I'm not, we, I will not say reunite, you know, China and the United States because, you know, the competition is there. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, different, you know, role. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you are, you are called your United style democracy. We have our, you know, China style democracy. But, you know, each way compete with, you know, each way compete with each other. But I think, you know, as a legal community, we need to do something. The first is that, you know, the collaboration, you know, the cooperation between Chinese community, a legal community, 
and the U.S. legal community. That's the first. The second, I think, you know, we need to do some lobbying, you know, either in U.S. or in Euro-China side to suggest the importance of China and the U.S. working with each other. Yes. And the third is that, you know, we need to remind the government the, the risk of the capital. Because, you know, discontinue with China or discontinue with the capital with, you know, uh, United States is the risk which cannot afford it by both countries' people. That's very well put. Uh, thank you for that. I think you've given us some great ideas some great observations on the market and practice uh, internationally. You're a truly international lawyer with unique experience. It's a privilege to talk to you, Leslie. Thank you for joining us today. Me too, John. It's, it's, it's great to talk to you, and I wish you to see you in person soon, <laughs> next year probably. I look forward to it. I need to get back. I would love to see you. We've been talking with Leslie Zong, General Counsel and Vice President in Strategy and Development of the United Energy Group, and a very well-known lawyer, public figure in the legal profession in China. This is John Quinn, and this has been Law Disrupted.